Welcome to this rather special podcast with me, The Farmer's Guardian's Features Editor, Emily Ashworth. This week you will hear from two incredible women, one being Amy Bateman who has recently released her photography-based book, 40 Farms. It's a rather beautiful story based on farmers across Cumbria, one of the most iconic and visited places in the country. Wanting to document the part these farmers play in preserving the countryside, it was for Amy a way to highlight the vibrant future of these farms, but also celebrate their rich history and heritage. And speaking of history, in honour of Remembrance Day, you're first going to hear a little bit of Marjorie Walker's story. Sadly, Marjorie, who was born and bred in Sledburn, Lancashire, has now passed away, but I had the absolute honour of speaking to her about her time in the Women's Land Army. She was one of thousands of women who fled to the countryside to take on vital farm work, a job which was crucial to keep Britain fed during World War II. To have spoken with her and her family was honestly such a pleasure, and they are certainly women who deserve to be remembered as women who helped to win the war. You were a land girl then, Marjorie, were you? Yeah. Yeah. And when, when did you join the Land Army? What year? Yeah. Now you're asking oh, me something. You. Well, you're born in 1922. <laughs> 22. Yes. Well, so how old would you be? It was the 18-year-olds. The government said they had had to join the, one of the forces, which were munitions. Yeah. Or the the land oh, and army. And yeah. of course, me being a country girl and always living in the country. Yeah. I mainly did, uh, as I said, uh, opening and for planting for potatoes. Yeah. And a bit of uh, oats would be one or two. Uh, Harapole, I always remember the chap at Harapole and the big spade lugs, wheels as we call them. Yeah. Uh, because it was a bit swampy land under mm. those trees, under the... I think you showed the me the, the, the fields that you ploughed. Yeah, uh, yeah. Up above, you know, up above, 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 it's what I call they were townies, and after they'd done about it three weeks <laughs> or a month, you know, she said that she was always swapping and swapping, and they agreed that I could be taken, you know, uh, taken off and do certain work for stocks, because it was important with that place at the time. Mm. So how how long were you a land girl for? About I think I did about three three and a half years, nearly four yeah. years. And that was just moving around to those different farms in the area. Yes, oh yeah. yes. Uh, uh, I had my own transport and went to collect uh, the uh, tractor from the farm that. Uh, and ordered me and told me where to go. As I said, it was all pretty local. Yeah, yeah. Nearly every, nearly every farm in the valley, from one end to the other. Yeah. What did you like about it? You must have enjoyed it. Your time. Did I like about yeah. it? I've liked 
and loved everything I've done. Yeah. I've always been a real country girl. I mean, that's the other thing, isn't it? Nobody ever, you know, you weren't recognised for what you did, were you? Yeah. And I don't really know why. How does that, How do you feel anything about that? Did it make you angry at the time? Yeah, I felt all right. Yeah. Well, I met a lot of uh, people shortly otherwise Yeah. as well. Yeah. And I was always well trained. Uh, I always remember... Uh, that place where it was all swampy at Harrop. A chap that lived there for a long time kept coming out with a great big mug of tea. <laughs> <laughs> About as big as that photograph. <laughs> it was good. And another place I went to, just between Whitewell and, and, uh, and uh, Dunsop, the lady that was in then some of the uh, cars, the other ones now, the, uh, his mum brought a, a big wooden tray with a doily on it and two scones on the plate <laughs> and a china cup and so <laughs> It wasn't just, you know, some, something in a bag. Or yeah. <laughs> well fed, yeah. Well, it was across the... They will say the farm was there, the main road, and I was up behind a, a little, a few trees, and she'd seen me pull up for something or other, and she shouted, Marjorie, don't sort up again! <laughs> <laughs> I'll never remember her shouting to me, don't sort up again, because food was scarcely in those days. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Butter and everything. <laughs> and she'd come in, she'd come, she said, uh, I buttered it for but she said, in that little pot there, you want some more on? And as I said, she'd, she'd actually bought the, her own homemade, I'll never forget the homemade jam. <laughs> <laughs> That's what a lot of land girls say, that they're always fed quite well. Yeah. Because obviously they're, yeah. you know, they had a bit yeah. of... Uh, yeah, they appreciated by the people yeah. that were, yeah. that were yeah. working for them. Yeah. Well, as I said, in those days, the farmers were thankful even just to meet and have a chatter because getting about, you know, wasn't uh, wasn't easy, not even for them. No. That's the same now, though, isn't it? Mm. Isn't it, really? Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's the same now, isn't it? They don't get time to get off the farm, do they? Yeah. What about your uniform then? What did you think about your uniform? Because some some members I've met did not like it at all. I others did. One, others loved it. I, My grandma said she loved it. I did. Yeah. Well, let's face it, when uh, I was out of hours at stocks, I mean, I used to wear similar things and you'd go with me dad in the boat to the top, yeah. top end of the reservoir and come back. In those days, had to catch every rabbit. Yeah. <laughs> Come on with one over, one on either side of me, walking in long, rough ground. <laughs> Have you got anything that um, sticks in your head about your time as a land girl? Any, any stories? Any mischief? <laughs> <laughs> well. The usual, <laughs> the usual uh, as I had to get together in the old village hall in Slaven 
you know, as I said, we'd all get together. Boys and girls alike, yeah. we enjoyed it, which was my life. When I was a teenager, we'd meet up after holidays and, oh, about six or eight of us, mixed boys and girls, we'd get our bikes out and our bike, our cycle, thousands of miles. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, short distances. I mean, we just loved it. There were very few cars on the road. Yeah. We've enjoyed that, you know. I used to like looking at all the different fauna and flora yeah. and even pebbles. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> you just like being outside, didn't you, I think? Yeah. Yeah, you liked where you lived. I'm you still, I'm still, uh, I'm still on love for uh, up to this last uh, six months. I've always been keen, been keen. After you finished being a land girl, did did you yeah. say up? Oh, yeah, I went back to stop to uh, stop. Yes, and then I would probably have. Uh, I'd probably have the tractor there, wouldn't I, really? It was the normal guards, no, what do you call it, obviously? Open to the, open to the <laughs> wild weather. <laughs> do you feel proud that you were a land girl? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. You did your bit, didn't you? Mm. Yeah. 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 As I said, I had, whatever it was, I enjoyed it. Yeah. I mean, that's me all my life, as Annie's knows. So if you had to go back and be a land girl again, would you do yes. it all again? Yeah. Yeah. Yes, I would. This is how I said, I'm not a clever... Now, yeah. <laughs> I'm not a clever clogs, but I'd tackle anything. How amazing to hear Marjorie's story and so many land girls have said how much it meant to them to be able to, as they say, do their bit. But let's hear from Amy now and all about her journey with her book, 40 Farms. What's your background? I was a physiotherapist. Um, well, I mean, if we could go right back, I was uh, a farmer's granddaughter. So my grandparents farmed over in Yorkshire on Menwith Hill and... Um, but they sold the farm. My mum wanted to farm. Uh, but my mum and sister had married a farmer. So we had spent weekends and, and holidays on farms and we had lots of friends that were farms. So it was part of my childhood going and staying on farms. And then I left her, I grew up in Harrogate, left home, went to Newcastle, studied physio, got my degree, went to London. Uh, had a wonderful couple of years in London uh, in my 20s, as you would. And then I started realising my money wasn't going anywhere and I didn't want to bring the family up there. So me and my flatmate had a competition. And we said, right, the first one to get a job somewhere, we'll go. So we looked at <laughs> um, my other country and like, where are we going to go then? And I went, well, I've always fancied retiring to Cumbria. We both loved uh, climbing, mountain biking, hiking the outdoors. Yeah. So we said, right, well, let's have a race and we'll see if we can get a, a job in Cumbria. And whoever doesn't get a job has to clean toilets or something. She worked at the Royal Corps of Justice on the Strand and I worked at the Royal Brompton Hospital. And she came back the next day with a transfer to Carlisle. Oh, I was going to say, did you hear one? <laughs> Who ended up cleaning toilets? <laughs> um, well, uh, so that night, literally that day, we handed four weeks' notice on our flat. We booked the removal. I went and handed my notice in at work the next day. 
jumped online trying to find some jobs. I got an interview at the Royal Lancaster Infirmary with two weeks to go and um, came up. I didn't get that job, but they offered me another one. And we found a house with two weeks to go. And literally within four weeks, we turned our lives around. We were living in Kendall. And then uh, we started climbing, mountain biking, and met a, a brilliant bunch of friends. And Colin was on sort of the outs. We shared a lot of friends in common, even though our, our past didn't cost much. And then about 18 months later, we got together and been inseparable. And then, of course, he was a farmer here. I did say I wouldn't marry him if he was a dairy farmer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I knew a little bit of the compromise of farming, but I didn't know what I was letting myself in for, but it didn't yeah. matter. Yeah. Um, and then, so I've been here 16 years now. So initially I was running, um, I opened up a physio clinic in Kendall and then we got married, we had children. And it was when I, I got twins first time. So managed to fertilise one and get one free. Wow. Uh, and they're identical. So that was good to have in a laugh, wasn't it? <laughs> um, I think if you're going to have twins, you need to have them first, don't you? <laughs> but then I felt cheated out of a pregnancy. Yeah. I wouldn't be nice yeah. to have another one. I've only got two hands. What was I thinking? <laughs> so we went on and had a third. Um, and it was then that I realised that the cost of childcare and running my own business, because I was running my physio clinic and I had staff working for me, the cost of childcare was going with all my profit. So it was pointless. So we looked at finances and we farm could support us if I stayed at home and helped farm a bit, look after the kids and support Colin because he wanted to make some changes on the farm and he was taken over from his dad. So I took on the classic farmer's wife role. I hate the term now because I'm not a farmer's wife now, only in the sense that I'm married to one because he's not a photographer's husband, is he? Well, yeah, and I think that term has evolved over time as well, hasn't it, in what, if if that makes sense. I was quite happy being, you know, the term at the time and it was a bit of a novelty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it becomes to a point that it's almost stigmatised now. Yeah, yeah. Um, So I've stepped out of that shadow. Yeah. And forged my own. So I was at home with the kids and I needed something more, something for me. Um, and so I picked up a camera and just started documenting the children growing up, life on the farm. Um, and I loved it. I got addicted quite quickly. Um, Colin bought me tickets to the local arts centre and um, for an adult education course. Um, so I went and did the uh, digital photography course and then I went on to the advanced one. I turned off auto, sorry, onto manual. And I've not looked back. So just going back to the farm, what, what do you guys run here? We've got over 900 acres, beef and sheep. You can read all about it in the book. <laughs> We've got a chapter in the book. We've got about 40 um, cross Hereford sucklers. And then we've got 1,300 composite breed sheep. Uh, it's quite complex what Colin's done, but he's basically okay. taken recorded genetics from different breeds yeah. and designed a flock that suits our land. He sort of relatively easy care traits. He's very strict with, um, we have like an A flock and a B flock, very strict with the failures. So that our replacements that we breed, are, you know, low input, big, big shift to try and get a low input system. Yeah. Um, and I'm actually incredibly impressed and proud of what he's been able to achieve with the breeds here. Um, so they fatten two, three months quicker than the old system with the roughs. 
They're on a rotational grazing system now, which has meant we've massively reduced our fertiliser bill significantly. Um, it's made us a lot more competitive mm. for the commodity market and um, we should survive post-subsidy. It's interesting, isn't it? You know, looking at what people are now doing to... As soon as the Brexit vote happened, he knew we needed a big shift. He was just in a position to be able to take over from his dad. Um, His dad took a big step back so he could. And he just knew straight away we need to get out of this horned pedigree breed and something a lot more commercial that would fatten quicker. So he went down the route of doing all sorts of plate measuring and monitoring growth rates um, keeping lots and lots of data, lots of records yeah. in your EBVs all the time. Um, and it's made a massive shift and it's paying off. Yeah, good. Talking to other farmers around here then, especially for this book, have you found there's the same sort of shift? Or is um, it quite, because, you know, it is a traditional area, looking at life going forwards. I'm surprised um, when people are looking over the farm more that they don't shift more than they do. Um, they have asked him, what are you doing? Yeah. Why are you doing that? And, yeah. And, you know, because we've planted some crops and stuff like that and put some um, fodder beet in things. And he's wanted to, uh, we've done herbal lay, sorry. Yeah. Um, and people say, well, I tried that years ago and it didn't mm. work. Well, actually, it is working. They're fattening quicker yeah. on it and things like this. So it's be very interesting. But I think farming generally is a very slow-changing profession you know and if you miss the opportunity one year it's quite a long time before you can change things the following year um but he knew the shifts that he wanted he he's done a lot of research he does he's very scientific um he'd actually got a degree um in science from durham and then went and studied a phd he fell out with his professor and came here to the family farm and decided actually he wanted to farm so he uses all that science background on the farm yeah fascinated yeah. in the soil so mm. you know that soil's the next revolution he knows it looking at the fungi and seeing what's going on on a molecular level. Yeah. Um, yeah. And he's just taken that approach to grass growth, happy soils, you know, the whole shebang, uh, to make the farm pay, but also to look after the farm, mm. you know, so that we are regenerating it and we're not taking off more than we're giving back to it. We've got a lot of areas that we look after nature, wildlife corridors, hedges, you know, wet extra wide hedgerows, that sort of thing, planting wooded corners on marginal land. We're doing all of that. We just don't shout about it like a lot of people. Let's talk about uh, 40 Farms then. Mm -hmm. Where did it originally, where did the idea come from? Is it something you wanted to do for a while or something to document, you know, amongst all this change that is happening? I was actually approached by my editor. So my editor and publisher is David Felton Mm -hmm. and he runs an independent Cumbrian publishing house called Inspired by Leyland. And during the first lockdown and the second lockdown in the pandemic, he put a call out to artists in Cumbria to how they were responding to lockdown. And he brought out a book called Through the Locking Glass. And um, his vision was wanting to document through photography this period of change. Um, And boy, it's changed even in the time we've been doing the book and it's changing every day and it's changing faster than farming's ever had to respond to changes, both, you know, not only just political, financial, economic, environmental, the pressures on farming now, staggering. And farmers are having to jump through hoops and respond massively and change systems much quicker than we've ever needed to before. And so we wanted to document 
those stories, but that we wanted them to be apolitical, non-judgmental. They wanted to be from the horse's mouth, the farmers, how they were adapting, how they were progressing um, across such cherished landscapes that we've got here mm. in the Lake District. But we didn't want to isolate it to the Lake District. There are loads of books about the Lake District and we wanted it to be the bigger picture of Cumbria. So Cumbria is the third biggest county in the country, but it's probably one of the most diverse. And we wanted to cover all of the diversity of those farms from those that are found in the igneous peaks, you know, right down to the salt marshes on its coast. You've got loads of fertile lands of the uplands and the um, Eden Valley in between. And we wanted the farms to um, sort of demonstrate the diversity there. And equally, we wanted to demonstrate the diversity within farmers. So we wanted the female farmers, the young farmers, the new entrants. We wanted the opinions of the older farmers, uh, died in the wool, the estate farmers, the small holders, the off-grid, so that everybody felt they were, what's the word? Represented. Yeah, represented. Um, but equally, we are a county that grows grass very well. Yeah. <laughs> Growing grass very well. The best protein converters are the sheep and the cows. And so the, it has a, a sheep and a cow leaning to it, livestock leaning. But equally, there's distinct diversities throughout the farms, that are, even within the sheep. When did it all kind of wrap up? When, when was the big... Well, we had, big opening. I, well, I had a, it was a funny, th- a funny thing, actually, because November 2020 was when Dave first emailed me and said, how do you fancy a book? Yeah. I mean, you talk about getting your ego massage. <laughs> Who doesn't love that sort of thing? And so we had a chat in the garage because uh, we weren't allowed to meet in public. So we chatted in the garage with a heater under the table and it was probably warming my shoelaces and nothing more. <laughs> and we set off and we wrote the list. Uh, and it was the list changed quite a lot, and we had people input help with the list and and who was going to be on it and who wasn't and things. And the whole project, there's a few farms in here that I'd actually already worked for, so I already knew of them. Um, I've done shoots for the AHDB for Brackenbur. Um, I've done Dodgson Woods um, yeah. commercial photography and things like that before, and so I knew quite a few. But we didn't want it to be nepotistic. We needed to cover the whole of. Cumbria, not just mm. who we knew and who we knew were doing good jobs. And so I just then set off and started shooting and I would record conversations like we're having now yeah. over a cup of tea, get an idea of what images I wanted, what story we were telling mm. them of theirs. Um, and those conversations then got transcripted and we'd pull out um, sort of the main draft of the story, what we wanted. Um, and that was on the 16th of September. We had over 200 guests, which was staggering. Um, the exhibition... 20, um, it's, it was only last month, wasn't it? Yeah. So the exhibition covers um, sort of snapshots of each of the farms. So the book's obviously a lot more in-depth. Yeah. Um, we can put the whole book on the wall. Mainly photography, but we've also got products. So a lot of the farms, if they can, if they produce something that's not food-based, so it would yeah. obviously go off. We've been able to put some of their products on display. Yeah, okay. Um, which really adds to um, the, uh, I don't it's know. It's like just a whole circular um, process yeah. then, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. It's made a massive difference. So we've got Herdwick um, bags and handbags on there that's made from wool from U Tree yeah. Farm. Things like that. Dalefoot Compots have got all their compost there, so you can yeah. look at them all. We've got trophies and cabinets yeah. of trophies, books that people have written mm. and stuff. Um, and so they're all there, all the diversifications 
I represented, but the whole um, gallery is thanks to the Westman family, obviously. Yeah. Um, they suggested that we did the, the book launch at Regad. Um, and we looked into having the gallery and then we got um, thankful for an Arts Council funding. Oh, fab. Yeah. Um, and one of the uh, stipulations with that is that we were able to open it up to minority groups. Now, farmers are a minority group. So the fact that we'd actually be encouraging farmers to be involved with the arts and come and visit uh, an art-based subject um, helped get some of that funding. And then we were very grateful to have sponsorship from H&H, um, Cumberland Building Society, um, University of Lang Cumbria, okay. um, the National, uh, they've got a parks and landscapes. I, I'm going to have to remember the term. Who are the sponsors? Rathbanes. Okay. Um, and there's another one as well. That's all right, don't worry. <laughs> but I have, we have to thank them because we couldn't have done the gallery without, without it. Them. Yeah. And in the first three weeks, we've had 7,000 visitors. Wow. And this week they're running at three fifty to four hundred visitors a day. How does that? How do you feel about that? I'm absolutely thrilled because what I feel now is I've been wrapped up in my bubble doing this book, yeah. and I was getting excited about it, and I can see how it can connect farmers with the consumers. Mm. But it's then how to get it out there and tell people about it, and unless people like yourselves write stories about it and get it out there into the mainstream and people start talking. That really the gallery is a place that people can come to. It's free and they can experience more than just picking up a book and they come and have a look around and they can read about these farms. And this is bigger now than me and this book. This is more about helping the public understand how the landscapes are managed and how the farms are managed and the, the difficulties that farmers are facing having areas of land taken away from farmers and being planted up for trees, you know, when we're in a position where we really need to be concentrating on food security and those sort of issues, um, and making the public realise that, that these farmers are planting up areas of marginal land for giving over to conservation and wildlife and are farming alongside nature and being considerate about the landscapes. And being able to give a voice to the farmers that collectively don't, you know, get regularly get a bad press and being able to give a voice to more of a sam a bigger sample than just one person writing a book about their farm. This is 40 farms. So this is a bit, it's a bit like a scientific experiment. You know, mm. if you've got much more samples to go at, um, your project's got more weight behind it. And I feel the same about this because every single farm in here is doing a really damn good job. And... You know, we, we have chosen farms that are almost exemplars in their fields, but that wasn't, that's not an accident. There was tons to go at. Yeah. You know, farming actually in this country, majority of farmers are doing blooming marvellous, but they don't get to show off and shout about it. And so the fact that we've got an opportunity here to demonstrate to people, but we need to get the policy makers and the decision makers there, and that is going to be a hard battle. And I think even if you look at social media, these sorts of images and stories, people respond to that because people are interested in this yeah. in this world. They are fascinated. It's, it's just finding another outlet medium to, yeah. to and present of course, that through. You've got a huge amount of people that... One of the biggest problems I'm finding with agriculture, and this has come through through the book, is that to actually produce food sustainably, mm. it's not affordable. Yeah, and so that's sword. It, it, yeah. massively. So if you want to push us down the line of competing with world markets, you're going to reduce welfare standards. You're going to 
um, reduce the sustain the environmental sustainability axis of being able to produce food cheaply. So you can't have it both ways. Mm. But if people can see the farms in this book who are doing it, you know, economically and environmental sustainability practices, if people back that right, well, I'll go to their farm shop and I'll buy that meat mm. from there. Yeah. And okay, I'm going to eat slightly less red meat, but that's fine because yeah. I know what they're doing with it, where yeah. it's been, where it's come from. Yeah. And if we can get people doing that, that's great. Yeah. I do understand there's a lot of people that can't afford that sort of meat yeah, and, yeah. and going forwards at a time of crisis yeah. is, you know... But it's how to. It's telling those stories again. It's another aspect. Presenting the facts, isn't it? As well. Facts. Yeah. Yeah. Not just rolling them in glitter. So, on this journey, then, like I mentioned before, have you? What did you find out? Maybe something that. Do you know? Sometimes when you're in this world, you. You don't take it for granted, but you forget. You know how much passion there is sometimes, or how, you know people are truly linked to places like this and where they live. Like, you can't no. get away from... No. You can't get away from that. No. Um, even if that was something that became even more apparent to you, was there something that... Did you come away and think, blimey? Yeah, I felt really quite buoyed up by the optimism in the farming yeah. community. And that was quite... I was relieved um, because there's a huge amount... The farmers that I've spoken to are wanting to use a lot of the challenges that they're facing as opportunities. Yeah. And that was really rewarding to find that, that they're not just thinking, oh, health bells, I'm going to have to just sell up. There are people talking like that, and the odd one or two in the book do talk like that. Yeah. But on the whole, there's very much an optimism about the future and using this as an opportunity to compete on world standards with their products. But... Equally, they're facing existential threats on a daily basis, not just to their businesses. And what I found made me realise it even more, even though we live here and we own our farm, this is our family and our life is all here on the farm, wrapped up in the business. You wake up in the morning and you're thinking about the farm. And... If you're working in an office, you shut the door at five o'clock, you go home, you don't worry about it, you have the weekend off. Yeah. Farmers are wrapped up constantly, 24-7, in their work, their business, their land. And it's no wonder that mental health is a, a serious issue in farming when you are surrounded by everything. And so everything is almost compounded. But I was very reassured that the majority of the people in are uh, 99%, were very positive, uh, had really positive mental attitudes about things and we were able to almost compartmentalise. I know it isn't the same for everybody. Um, and those threats and those issues and, uh, and the challenges, and they're trying to use them positively and trying to work out how to enterprise stack to mitigate against the issues that are, you know, threatening to pull them under. Um, and the diversifications that people are coming up with and the ideas they have and even the way Collins adapted the breed here to, to be more commercially competitive. Um, and it's very reassuring that every single farm has a different angle on it. And this is just Cumbria. Think of what people are doing all over the country. So it was really very positive and reassuring to find that happening. I was surprised how positive, how yeah. relieved I felt. Yeah. That's really, really nice to hear, actually, because obviously um, a lot of people will feel scared yeah. with a lot they, of these they, they and they are. everything that's going on with 
elms and you know nobody yeah. has a clue not knowing what's going on you're known yeah so and like i said particularly around these sorts of areas yeah if you can't diversify yeah if this is your life you don't you, you don't have anybody else to bounce your ideas off what are you going to do yeah and i do find farmers generally are quite often a closed book yeah yeah they don't yeah. like to chat too much with the neighbors about what they're doing they don't you know everybody feels like they're almost don't want to share what works well yeah uh, there are discussion groups that work and, and one thing or another but even that I, I do find they hold back a bit yeah and it's a shame because i think if people shared a lot more about what did maybe this will help maybe the book will help that because yeah. the farms here have been open and sharing and i hope people will instead of drive driving around the valley farming over the wall they'll pick up the book and form you know yeah. and yeah, see yeah, what yeah. people are doing and give yeah. them ideas and they oh, yeah. do you know what? i might try that I, I could do this and this gives me a bit of hope because they're a similar farm to me and what are they doing one of the other questions was what what do you particularly love about living here and you know being in this community because that's one thing that i love about farming is that you don't really get another community like it. it's quite unique it is it's got so much history behind it you don't you know you can't you don't get those stories anywhere no anywhere else in society no and i think that that kind of boils down to the fact that actually the communities because they're living and working on the businesses wrapped up totally inside it mm. that local people tend to socialize now we see we don't go to the auction okay um, yeah and so we don't have that sense of so actually a lot of our f- friends and family are outside of farming yeah but this has helped build up my sense of community because i've suddenly got to know very well these farms and um people have opened up to me and that's been really really wonderful um and i've come to understand with farming there's an awful lot more than just the social side of community there are so many businesses on the periphery and small businesses that rely on the farms and those little communities that, you know, just like the Wednesday chap coming into the yard and yeah. Charles Billington and you've got your feed merchants, the wool man, um, you've got your stockmen that work for you at different spots and things like that, all your agricultural suppliers and your mechanics and stuff like that. There's massive amounts of communities wrapped up in around farming that... Should the predictions of what happens to the uplands down the line, um, I think there's going to be a massive change in communities. Um, the small local communities that have been eaten up by second homes, particularly in the Lake District, and particularly how the people who then come and stay in those second homes mm. respond to the countryside. Um, and I think in lockdown, that gave us a very good indication of what maybe would be around the corner because we had a massive influx of visitors that weren't used to the countryside, that didn't yeah. know the countryside code, that had no idea that they can't just open a gate and walk in. You know, the yeah. number of people who were sat in people's uh, fields having a yeah. picnic and just yeah. did not know that you yeah. weren't allowed to and you were trespassing. Mm. Um, and uh, I, th- I think looking at the future... We're going to have to do a really good job of trying to ed- inform and educate somewhere from a grassroots level about how the landscape's managed. And, and the book does certainly cover that, and it does help that. A massive influx of dogs as well. Yeah, you know, people suddenly, yeah. dog ownership boomed in, in lockdown, and, and it's continued. And pooing in gateways, mm. the number of pooing gateways. And... You wouldn't do that, no. I don't, I don't quite understand why people, what the difference is between if you had a walk around your own home or your own area you mm. wouldn't do that no you but just not understanding that you can't let your dog off in the field yeah 
Um, and that feels not yours and it's mm. somebody else's land and it's where they run the business and, and understanding that the dog poo's got bacteria in it that can be harmful and mm. stuff and people just have no idea. Yeah. How do we tell? How do we teach them? So it's another way with the book and the exhibition um, for people to help understand that these are working landscapes and there are lots of communities that rely on these working landscapes and they're not just for leisure and pleasure. But equally we need to get you know, groups like Cumbria Tourism on board and help working with the farmers. And I think there could be a bond there that could be grown. Well, it's like even beyond, we talk about collaborative working with farmers going forwards and how that could benefit businesses, but it's it's not just between farmers, is it? It's between everybody else, like you say, who's on the peripheral. Mm. Everybody has a role to play because this industry does actually affect us all. Massively. Um, it's about food. So you need to eat three times a day. Yeah. And only fifty four percent of food on our plates growing in this country. Yeah. So three times yeah. a day. Mm. You know, do people really look at the plate and think, where did that come from? Yeah. Where was that made? Yeah. Fab. Okay. Um Oh, there's so many discussions we could have. I know. I'm always, I'm always <laughs> like this. We go off on a tangent and I'm like, no, oh. the problem is without the book, it has triggered so yeah. many extra discussions. And, and that's great, isn't it? It is. And everybody's got a different angle that they want to angle and trying to yeah, make sure we cover them all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How did it feel? Obviously, you know, Simon Rogan, you can't get away from the fact that he is who he is and that's quite an epic uh, person to open your exhibition. Yeah. I'm not, I you don't know. get starstruck. No, but just in terms of, you know, people, he's somebody who does connect yeah, with his between two, yeah. two worlds like I that. That was ideal and that was maybe um, around the point of asking him because he is, you know, he's a, a farm to fork champion. He's somebody that other people can relate to that's not just a farm, you know, he's, he's not a farmer as such. Um, and it's a way of getting access to another range of people and getting them to listen to these stories so the fact that he was involved in the book and the project and was able to open the exhibition was yeah Mm. incredibly generous of him to give his time um, and I'm very very grateful and the support that they've shown to the book has just been superb Mm -hmm. Um, it's a beautiful book and you must be extremely proud of it and everybody actually who appears in it must feel yeah you know proud of it as well what we noticed a piece of history really it is and it's a snapshot of time Mm. but i think what's really interesting is it's a snapshot of what's happening in the future as well because this is about change yeah it's a lot of farmers and books look back black and white photos yeah yeah. historical we're looking forwards with this we're discussing what the future is holding and so if we repeat it in five ten years time it's going to be very interesting to see where all these people are and what they're doing and how their challenges you know whether there have been opportunities how they've changed or whatever I am incredibly proud of it, but I'm proud now of what it can achieve. You know, looking at the bigger picture of building those connections, helping people understand more about food security, being able to shop local, keep the food miles down, how people are trying to reduce the carbon footprints of their animals, looking after nature and the wildlife. Um, And I'm really proud of that, what it can achieve more than some nice pictures. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it is more than that, isn't it? Yeah. You know, it's much, much more than that. And that's why the visitors book at the gallery. Can I share one with you? Yeah. I've been getting some fantastic... I've got fan mail. (laughs) Somebody even sent me a link. Look at this. Why do you get fan mail these days that's not an email? Telling these farmers and these, these families stories 
they don't get the chance to be shown in Again. any sort of positive no. way or and this you know, is nothing but positive yeah high welfare consideration for the land yeah beautiful products working really hard to do right by everybody and yet they're still battling crap policies and trade deals that are threatening the absolute core of what they believe in yeah for standards and uh, yeah I have to confess, I've never been a fan of farming. I guess I was prejudiced against the factory fertiliser approach. Seeing the stories here has changed my mind a little. I can see that many are striving to produce in a more eco-friendly way. That's encouraging. Even if I probably cannot afford the produce, though I do buy many Lake District cheese, I was surprisingly moved. You know, and just, that's one person. If we can change their, one person's opinion of farming in this country, job done. That's actually given me, like, a little bit of... I know. See, there's because, isn't... That that's just exactly what this is for. Yeah, how can we get more people being involved in the? How can we get more people mm. to the gallery and more people to yeah. buy the book? Yeah. My notes in conclusion, actually, mm. you might want to take a photograph of it because there are some bits in here that are just lovely nuggets. But farmers are no stranger to change and ability to cope with it is built into the DNA of those who work the land. Those who don't can't or won't adapt soon leave the sector. But the pace of change, even for those with long memories, feels more frantic than ever and with more at stake. Mm. This has been a rather jam-packed and special podcast because the farming sector truly has some incredible history behind it. I hope you enjoyed it. And if so, don't forget to subscribe to the Over the Farmgate podcast on your favourite platform. Tune in next week. But from me, it's thank you and goodbye. Goodbye.